The pandemic has opened nurses' eyes to seek out new careers in nursing. We always get more questions about what other opportunities there are in nursing other than working at the bedside. Both of us have our master's degrees and it has afforded us career advancement, flexibility of schedules, and work-life balance. Going back to school is always an option. And Samuel Merritt University has been educating nurses for over 100 years. They're consistently ranked top in the U.S. for diversity and highest paid graduates. In order to help nurses advance their education during these crazy times, they are offering over a dozen different types of easily obtainable scholarships, starting at $10,000 for any nurse who enrolls in the spring 2022 semester in either their online MSN FMP or DNP FMP programs. So visit them at smumsn.com. Again, that is smumsn.com. Hello, is this thing on? Do you think they can hear us? Nah, let's say it again. Hi, and welcome to the Gritty Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion related to health and healthcare. My name is Amy. And my name is Sarah. And we are your podcast hosts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Amazon, or any other podcast listening platform, don't forget to subscribe so you can get updates to when we have our latest episodes. Also, don't forget to rate and review us. And if you like what you're hearing and you love our advocacy work, don't forget to go to www.grittynurse.com and click on the donate button. As little as $1 or $2 a month for a total of $12 a year, will help us with our monthly podcast costs such as website hosting, our hosting platform, audio equipment, and the time and energy it takes us to put out good quality episodes. We thank you and we appreciate you. Hi and welcome everyone. Uh, thank you for tuning in this week. This week is going to be a little intense because, you know, we got to talk about some serious stuff too. And I think that, you know, this has been an episode long time coming and I kind of want to throw out a disclaimer, uh, actually, before we get into the topic of this this week, um, and the disclaimer is as follows. So, warning, in the following episode, we will discuss a violent attack that occurred with a healthcare worker. Um, she has allowed us to tell her story. Please know that some of the images that we may share on social media, as well as her detailed account, can be triggering to some. Please listen at your discretion. What we're going to be talking about today is actually uh, violence in nursing. And I know we've touched on it before, but we really wanted to get into some personal stories that nurses have shared with us, as well as some online violence that we've been hearing our colleagues dealing with for simply speaking up for what's right. And us being advocates, we understand part of that too. We've had that lived experience. So we wanted to bring some of that to the forefront. And as always, we want to share some key takeaways um, things that you can do to make the situation better for either yourself or somebody that you know. I think that m maybe what we could do first is we can even just talk about the online tirade and the hate that's coming and what's fueling that because it's it, it's it's really insane. Like I think in terms of my own experience, I've had I think I've mentioned this before where we you know we get the trolls. I kind of, it's, it's funny. Like I, I laugh them off, but you know, it's getting to the point where some of these trolls are saying things you can't laugh off. You can't laugh off when it's a death threat or 
they're saying that they're going to hang you. Like I couldn't laugh off the fact that someone was saying to me that they were going to behead me and, or hang me um, in relation to Nuremberg trials for speaking out in terms of what's happening with COVID-19. I think we've gotten to a point where now it's not just hate and vitriol and someone hiding behind their, their, well, yes, they are still hiding behind their keyboard, but the things people are saying are hitting this new unacceptable level. Mm-hmm. And I know that we talk a lot about advocacy and yes, there are lots of reasons why nurses may not want to be advocates. And I think that for us to do what we do, it's not easy, but we do it because we care and we're passionate about it. And, you know, we shouldn't have to be subjected to all of this online hate or personal attacks or whatever else comes with the territory. But it just seems like with COVID that it's become that much more intense. And, you know, like I mentioned, some of our colleagues have gone through this. And actually, someone named Dr. Nahid Dusani, who is a past guest on one of our episodes, tweeted recently And he said, um, when our politicians pander to anti-vaxxers instead of standing with healthcare workers, it leaves us vulnerable. It fuels hate and it puts a target on our backs. It's an honor to advocate for the health of Canadians, but it shouldn't come at the cost of our well-being and safety. And this is something that a lot of people have been saying that are speaking up for um, things like vaccinations, public health measures and COVID. And it's just something that we've been seeing more and more of. And I do think that I think that governments and um, regulators and social media platforms need to do a better job because I know that, Amy, you and I have reported certain tweets before, and I'm not really sure what came of it. I think we got some standard response, like one of those automated responses that it was going to be looked into. But was it really looked into? I never heard anything back. Did you hear anything back? Yeah, I think there was the the one guy that I had uh, that pretty much said that he was going to behead me. <laughs> I um when I reported his tweet, I think they had locked his account for a certain period of time. Actually no, he they didn't. No. They he back wheeled and deleted his tweets. And I think it just said like your report has been submitted. I don't actually think really anything actually did come of it. This uh really smart uh, individual did use their first and last name. So when I did report them to the police, he was easily to be found. I think he realized that he used his first and last name, so he backwheeled and deleted all his tweets, but again, you know, lots of people are using there are bots and there are people using alias accounts really just attacking healthcare workers for for being honest and transparent. Like I think that I'm actually really worried about what's going to happen when the next set of vaccines come out for children that are age five to 11, because I'm like, you know, they're threatening, you know, about what's happening with adults, like us vaccinating adults. And I saw some protests outside of schools at the very beginning of the school year, but I'm, I'm really nervous for, you know, those frontline healthcare workers that may be vaccinating children and what some of these individuals are saying or or might do to them. It's it's actually really, really concerning. And I think the worst part is there is no protection. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's the same in the US. I think actually I think there are different provisions for US and healthcare workers, but here in Canada, like there's there's no protection. There really isn't. Like at the end of the day, the responsibility and the onus is put back onto the individual and they're like, oh, you know, you can press charges, you can do X, Y, and Z, but there's no onus or protection from the government to, to make this actually 
like a criminal, like a felony or a charge. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. So it just, it doesn't de-incentivize the, the, the behavior. They just get away with this crazy talk to, to, you know, healthcare workers and nothing happens. Well, I feel like we're here in a country in Canada, which has laws. And then online, it's almost like this other lawless country where, where anything goes. And it's almost like people don't view being online as legitimate. Like if you received like a handwritten letter that was a death threat, I feel like people would take that way more seriously than a death threat that was sent to you via social media. But really, it's the same thing. It's written in black and white. You can't deny that it's there. But yet somehow it's like this alternate level of reality where people feel like it's not legitimate. And I I don't know, maybe the laws haven't caught up with all of the evolution of social media, but it's where everybody's at right now. So we really need to be able to protect those that are we're just trying to communicate evidence-based information and for that we're taking a lot of heat but it 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 still doesn't make any sense because look at what look at some of the other stuff that we've been seeing too right there have been instances where healthcare workers are just going to do their job nurses physicians allied healthcare workers whatever the case may be you know you could be just like a staff you know, a clinical assistant or whatever, going in to do your job. And you've got to walk through a crowd of people shouting at you, spitting at you, telling you that uh, you're spreading lies, that the pandemic isn't real, verbally and physically trying to, you know, assault you. And there's nothing. Like the government is doing the bare minimum. When it was happening downtown in Toronto and in these other cities, we were rallying and saying like, what is the government going to do? Are they going to put in some protections to help healthcare workers? What is the Ford government going to do um, in relation to these anti-vax protests that are happening outside the hospitals that are also, you know, causing potential patient safety, right? Like patient safety concerns. There was a couple things that was mumbled here and there, but nothing came of it. Like there's, there was no law that came about it. There was no precedent. There was no change nothing it's just like oh it was a problem no one's talking about it anymore so we're just we're just not going to do anything and i don't think that's acceptable yeah i think it was covered for maybe five minutes in the news outlets because we were part of those conversations and then it just went away poof like like it almost never happened and it's almost like the government is putting their head in the sand because they just don't want to deal with it so it's like don't ask don't tell we're going to focus on the next thing that's coming up and distract with something else. But it's getting to this level, right, Sarah, where it's just the online hate and the vitriol is is spinning out of control. And we're now seeing not only the, the, the concerns with online issues, but we're seeing it kind of trickle down to happening to, to nurses, doctors in real time. And I think that's the scariest part because, you know, um, we, you can't, you, you can't really determine what will happen with an online threat. But I know that there has been many, many issues in in just in general to violence against healthcare workers. There is no law here in Canada outside of, you know, us criminally prosecuting someone to say, okay, you know, we're like me as an individual, I'm going to press charges. There's no law to say, you know, if you harm a healthcare worker or uh, like a nurse or a physician that like in the States it's like a huge, huge deal. Like there are protections for, for example, I think it's like lawyers or, and um, 
again, like police officers, that if you cause them harm, you can go to jail for like a shit tillion years. I was thinking the exact same thing because we've heard of those cases where somebody shot and killed a police officer and it's like they get X number times of the time that they would have gotten if it was a civilian. And I always wondered why that same protection didn't apply to healthcare workers because we literally don't have a choice Someone's going to have to care for a patient, regardless or of if it's you, me, or who. Someone's going to care for that patient. It's not like we can turn them away. It's not like we can deny them service. So the fact that we don't even have these protections is a very glaring gap in the system. This is like a huge, this is something you could throw the solar system into because it's a huge, huge problem. Like, No, like, is it because we're women and women's lives aren't worth the same as, you know, males? Like, is, is, is that a part of it? Like, I know we're female dominated. I know that there's so much research in terms of the abuse that female workers take in terms of their male counterparts working in healthcare. What is it that we have to do to stand up to get these better protections? Like, I don't know what the answer is. And we recently went on a podcast talking about this too and this is it's it's insane and we need to do something different so i'm going to talk about a story where we actually had someone who reached out to us in the very beginning of the pandemic and we really want to get her on uh, we're going to wait to hear what what um if we can but she has given us permission to tell her story her name is monica jones so she actually wrote us an email and i I thought i'd chronicle the email and kind of tell you the story from her perspective so so she says hello my name is monica jones i've been a nurse for 20 years and i was attacked by a covid19 psychotic patient with aggressive assaultive behavior and no one came to my aid even security refused the overnight staff were afraid that they would contact the virus. So this was like earlier on in the pandemic where I think people were still really trying to figure out what was happening and everybody was just scared in general, but I don't think that's a good enough excuse. Anyway, she goes on to say that at first I was really angry, but now I realize that I might've been misinformed that there was also fear coupled with the lack of education on the virus which of course could be a dangerous combination. During the night in question, the patient became aggressive and my charge called for a code on the patient and everyone refused to come. And the staff kept saying, you guys got COVID in the building. Well, she said, y'all got COVID in the building. So it was just her and the charge nurse to try to handle the injections that they had to give to this patient. All the while where all the other kids on the unit were being sequestered um, in in a facility ward room all day. And uh, this one particular kid was wandering in and out of the rooms, not keeping his mask on, and he was actually symptomatic. She also goes on to tell us that she was short-staffed, no big surprise, and not keeping his mask on was, was quite problematic. So it was just her and the charge nurse at that facility, and they actually had turned him down three times earlier, but the medical director accept, accepted him as a favor from someone from the board. Um, knowing that we did not have staff to properly properly take care of this child and all the other preconditions that she had mentioned. The facility also had an open unit, meaning that there was no protection 
for the staff. They were asking uh, questions of the infection control nurse about how to probably take care of this adolescent child, but also how to keep other children in the ward safe. And we were told, oh, just follow the CDC guidelines. Don't call anybody because I'm officially on leave of absence. Um, so there was no game plan on how to accept this facility's first COVID-19 patient. She says that she was assaulted by him early in the morning on August the 2nd. Again, her, the charge nurse called a code and again, no other staff wanted to come in. They also, they also refused from the adult unit across the street. And she goes on to talk about what her injuries were. So she says that my injuries were as follows. She had several facial lacerations. The left side of her face was bruised and swollen because she got elbowed under her left eye and it started to bruise. She has a right knee that required major surgery from a torn ACL with both meniscus tears. And now she walks with a limp, which she hopes that she'll get better with time. She also said that the patient punched her several times in the face, knocking out a tooth and damaging uh, two more so bad that they actually had to be extracted. She said that her mental state is in, in, is in shambles. And now she's thinking that nursing is not for her, but she does love it. And she said she'd thank us for uh telling her story. I think the worst part of this too was I had asked her if she had procured an attorney and she said yes. She did not file a police report because there were so many people that she had to get permission from to call the police, which is crazy. And she's also a travel nurse. So we know that, you know, there's just like agency nurses, they go from hospital to hospital. There's a lot of mistreatment in these groups. So the facility was actually even denying that denying that it actually occurred. She also said that her counseling workers comp will not approve her injuries. She still has nightmares at least three times a week. And to be honest, she said she feels fearful of going to sleep because she continues to have uh, these nightmares. And she says that, you know, um, this one night dealing with this COVID patient has really put her in a bad way. This is just one story. And she sent us pictures, which we will, she, we will share. That's one story out of how many that we hear about, right? Yeah. My heart is breaking hearing this story because I feel like this is so common and we don't talk about it. And when we do talk about it, somehow it turns into something that the nurse has done wrong. So the narrative gets flipped like, oh, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Maybe you should have known the patient was going to be this way. You know, it's part of your job. I'm not saying I feel like any of these things, but this is what I feel like nurses are up against. And then you spend all of your time. It sounds like she has spent a lot of time dealing with the fallout. So trying to get an attorney, trying to get a worker's comp, the fact that she's a travel nurse and maybe she didn't have all of the rights that a full-time staff would have had. I just, I feel like it's ruined her life. This was last year, August. So I don't know how she's doing, but I really, really feel for her. And it just seems like we cry for help. We're screaming and nobody is hearing us or they don't want to hear us. What do we do about the situation? It's just so much more common than people realize. I don't know about you, Amy, but we never talked about violence in nursing when I was going through school. I think the only time that it was even mentioned was during my um, psych rotation where we did have patients that had to be subdued and they had to have injections. But really, it wasn't even part of the curriculum. And if we're not talking about it, how are we even raising awareness, ne nevertheless, address these issues? Well, we're not, right? Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's why that's why that's why South Lake Hospital is uh, paying out of their wazoo right now. I think they've already paid out $90,000 or being or because of some of the damages 
that have caused and I think that it has caused violence has caused I think one of the first things that I'd like to say is like violence is actually not part of our job like we have a right to feel safe and to be respected in our workplace and our, we should be able to go to wor- our workplace without having like violent interactions and these physical and verbal abuses that we have that occur on these regular basis shouldn't be really a part of the work that we find as acceptable right Mm -hmm. i think that you know again like we need to look at issues related to femicide which is essentially uh the death of of women through abuse uh intimate partner violence and we need to talk about like what are we doing here what are we doing to protect women just in general because yeah it is it's if we were to talk to our male counterparts like i could tell you like i've said this to matthew before i'm like hey like have you ever experienced this and he's like no i've he's like patients don't raise their voice to me they don't give me that sass and is it because he's like a six six two bigger male black male and they're just like no we're not even gonna bother and i think that you know someone your stature or my stature we're we look vulnerable so it's it's okay that when that person walks out that we get the brunt of it like we need better protections and i think that there's a lot of evidence that points that this is something that happens there was a a national study conducted by the cfnu so the canadian federation of nurses that found that um 61 of nurses reported a serious problem with with violence over the recent 12-month period, and two-thirds considered leaving their jobs as a result. And that the number of violence-related lost time claims for healthcare workers increased by almost 66% over a nine-year period. So that's three times the rate of the increase for police and correctional services combined. So again, like, what are we doing? Why are we, why aren't there better provisions in place? I know. And nursing is a dangerous profession. I don't think people realize how much, how many hazards we deal with. You think about the fact that police are out there. They have, they have bulletproof vests. They have guns, right? If you're a construction worker, you're on the site, you have your hard hat, you have your boots. What kind of protections physically do we have as nurses? We have nothing. Actually, what we do have is an increased unsafe workload. We have no security guards. We get no training. We have code white. That's all we have. We have code white where, you know, you hear it all the time in the hospital. You don't even know what it means half the time. And I bet that security is overstretched too. So even if they wanted to attend, are they attending in a timely manner? Is this a bandit solution or is this just going to happen again? And I think that I've heard so many times from nurses that have been attacked from their patients that after the attack is over, they have to go back and finish the care on that patient. Not only do they not get support, their charge nurse is saying, okay, so you need to go finish the procedure on Mr. So-and-so. And you're like, what the hell? Like, this is traumatic. Like, I have to go back now and face my attacker and actually provide care to him. Finish the care that I couldn't provide because I was attacked. Yeah, we 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 need to lobby the government. We need to we need to be annoying <laughs> and just be that voice that's constantly saying, like, what are you doing to protect us? What are you doing to protect us? Because we're seeing that the violence is starting is not starting, sorry. The violence is spiraling out of control. It should have been something that was dealt with from a very long time ago. I just want to circle back to one thing that the nurse said in her story, that she didn't file a police report because there were so many people you had to get 
permission to call the police. I'm not sure what that is about, why the organization would say to her that you need permission to call the police, because this is now an issue. It, this is not a work Place. It's not a nurse-client relationship issue. This is like you have been attacked, whether it was from a patient or a family member or a coworker. You have been attacked, and you should be able to call the police. I I don't know if I'm missing something here. Well, I mean, I I kind of think I I don't know what the process is. For example, like if if you know we were to be assaulted here in Ontario if we'd have to jump through as many hoops as some of the nurses out in the U S have to, like, I think it's crazy that that one nurse is like, you know, the hoops that I'd have to jump through to, to actually do this is it's not worth a while. And I think nurses feel that way too out here because it's just like, all right, you know, if you want to go through this process, it's a long lengthy process. You're going to have to call the police. They're going to have to charge the patient. You're going to have to go to court and they make it sound like this undesirable thing. And then the nurse is just like, yeah, no, I, it's fine. I just won't deal with it. Like we need to have a more seamless process where it's like one, we look at the criminality and we just say, if you harm a healthcare professional, it's like, 10 to 15 years. And it's like, okay, that might change your idea in terms of whether you're going to assault that person or that the process is, is shortened. Like there's not these long ta- wait times for, for the perpetrator to, to, for it to play in the system. Like who are we trying to protect? Who, who does that benefit? It doesn't benefit us any. And again, like I mentioned the whole uh, issue with South Lake and South Lake's in a hospital here in Ontario. And I, I think I said it was $90,000, but it was like an $80,000 fine that was slap that it was literally just kind of a slap on the wrist. Because I think, honestly, again, I think this is where we need to hold organizations accountable. $80,000 fine for something like three nurses that were brutally attacked and, um, and, and we're victimized at these hospitals by patients. How much do you think a hospital makes a year? I think $80,000 is peanuts. Oh, absolutely. That's not even one person's salary, right? It might be one person's salary, but it might be much less. And $80,000 for all the pain and suffering of those three workers is nothing. It is insulting, actually. It's very insulting. And actually, they just an article just came out recently where they're talking about that, you know, the CEO is taking more heat because they're facing more work, workplace safety charges. And that even the union has come out and said that there there needs to be stiffer penalties and they're disgusted and discouraged by what is happening. Like, I think that this is all insane. There has to be a precedence. And and I don't know if we're going to be the ones that are going to like continue being the bug in people's ears to, to really change what this looks like, because I'm afraid it's going to get deadly. Like we read of just recently, it was in the States, uh, in Florida at, or I guess it was Orlando health where a nurse was, I believe she was assisting one of her patients. I think she was giving meds and this lady started to scream while she was trying to give meds. And this other male patient came into another, from another room, shoved her up against the wall. So, Oh, I forgot to mention the main detail. This this patient was pregnant, eight months pregnant. So this other patient came into the room, shoved her against the wall, and essentially it resulted in the death of her unborn child. 
And it did happen on a mental health unit, or they they considered the behavioral unit at Orlando Health in a, at the South Seminole Hospital. And again, the nurse was just over eight, eight months pregnant. And this other patient came in, shoved her into the wall, tried to kick her. None of the kicks landed. But then she felt, you know, that there was something, something was wrong. So she went and checked and her baby, there was no heart rate for her baby. And again, they had to induce labor. So she ended up losing her child. And she said it was, the doctors kind of concluded and she was saying that she believes it was the stress that she was under during the attack that caused her her unborn child's death. And noting that the baby had no prior medical issues prior to this actually incident. So I know that the hospital right now is cooperating uh, with the investigation. And right now this jerk, he was uh, released from the hospital and taken to jail on charges of aggravated battery on a pregnant woman, aggravated battery on a medical worker, and homicide of an unborn child. And he's being held on bonds that are totaling um, 90,000 US dollars. So again, like, why? Why Why does this have to happen? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't have words. I know. And I bet anybody who's pregnant right now and listening is really feeling like, you know, when you're pregnant, you're really vulnerable. I, I felt that way both times. And to have to worry that you may be attacked at work and you lose your baby is just insane. I don't know how else to say it. Like, you already feel like you're under so much stress when you're pregnant and your protective instincts kick in. And when you feel like you can't protect your baby or yourself against a person who is very unpredictable and, and clearly very violent, like, that's just that's just over the top. I feel that there should be more protections for pregnant workers. That's a whole other issue. But I think that we're dealing with so much right now that, you know, like maybe maybe anybody who's pregnant right now is thinking like, I'm not even going to work right now because I don't want to risk my health or my baby. But look at how many times, like, for example, even us, Sarah, like, I remember um, when I was pregnant, I actually had, so when I was pregnant with my twins and I had preeclampsia, like the hoops I had to kind of jump through to eventually get written off. And I was sick. Like I had preeclampsia and I was like, oh, hey, you know, my doctor would write restrictions saying, hey, you know, she can't, she can't walk for this long. She needs to take breaks. Well, you know, as a nurse, it's, it doesn't really work that way. And they weren't really very supportive in terms of that accommodation. And I think that there are many times that pregnant nurses make these types of requests to say, hey, you know, um, is there some other type of work that I could do? Can I do paperwork or whatever the case may be? And workplaces don't really do much to to help support them. I think that's another piece that I think is important to look at that, you know, maybe we shouldn't be around dangerous people when we're pregnant or, you know, maybe if if that patient doesn't feel or that, sorry, that nurse doesn't feel safe that they should be in a different situation or at least be accommodated if they're requesting that. I think that we just need to be a little bit more sensitive to some of these issues. And then just also like, what are we doing to protect healthcare workers at the, the fact that I feel like it's nothing is, is a huge, huge, um, like you said, it's a gap, but it's, it's something that definitely needs to be looked at. Uh, yeah, it's more than a gap. If there was yeah. a word for canyon, Grand Canyon-sized <laughs> gap, that would be it. Like a I, <laughs> galaxy of a problem. Like I didn't have a high-risk pregnancy, but I remember going to my doctor and asking if I could get taken off night shift towards the end. And I remember her saying, like, I can definitely write it. That's no problem. I don't think you should be working night shift. But do I think the hospital is going to accept it? 
hells no. And I, I felt like stuck. And I remember being very pregnant. And where I was working at the time, you had to stand up. And not only were you standing the whole shift, but you were standing in one place, right? So right. I remember many times feeling kind of lightheaded because I'm standing in one position. I'm not moving. I feel like all the blood is pooling towards my legs. And it was almost like if you got to the end of your pregnancy, it was almost like a badge of honor. Like, hey, I made it. I worked all the way until my water broke. Like, how many times have we heard that story? Like, I worked all the way until my water broke. And then I just went to labor and delivery in the same hospital and had my baby. So it's it's like we wear it as a badge of honor where it should be like, no, I'm going to take time off early. Like what I did for both my pregnancies is... I went off work three weeks before my due date and everybody thought I was crazy. They thought, why right. don't you work to the end? And then they even said to me, like, because at the time it was a 12 month mat leave, they said, well, don't you want to like have that time off to celebrate your, your baby's first birthday? And I was like, no, because they're not even going to know it's their first birthday. Right, so right, right. I took this time to like go to the spa, get my nails done, like all of that pampering stuff, which I guess now we call self-care. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I just... I think that we also need to stand up for ourselves a little bit. And yes, the system has issues, but we need to stop wearing it as a badge of honor to like work through every single health issue that we have and, and think that it's okay and that, oh, like I was able to do it. Why can't you? I don't think we need to one up each other like that either. No, I, I agree with you. And there was actually one thing I wanted to circle back and maybe get your perspective on. So this particular case that I talked about, and many of the cases that we see, and for example, um, the next podcast episode that we have when we have our guests talking about uh, their book, Code White, a lot of these patients are mental health patients that we see um, these violent outbreaks and, and outbursts in. And again, I, I can see how that brings some stigma as well. The one point is how do we how do we use the tools that we have? So whether it's uh, risk assessment tools, gentle persuasive approach, any of the other types of trainings that we might have to de-escalate a situation before you know be becomes volatile. Because I think we can see the signs, right? I, I don't think yes, there are those random times where it comes out of nowhere, but I think you know you can see if that 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 situation is escalating and that it might become violent. So. How do we really prevent these things from happening? I think we we need to look at some of the resources. Again, I'm I'm a big proponent that like nurses need to have way better training in terms of, you know, if they are put into a situation that's dangerous and they can't get out. Cause I've seen it time and time again. Like I remember when I did some training um for these exact situations, that nurses would crumple to the ground. Like it was, it was, it was bizarre that like, you know they were simulating this nurse getting assaulted and they're just like, protect your head, protect your organs. How about you try not to get hit in the first place? Like it was just weird to be like, Oh, you know, just protect your head. No, like, like you're a turtle and you're just turtling. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> no, like, no, absolutely not. And I'm not saying that you you should be like fighting your dementia patients. I'm not saying that either. I think we need to have better protocols and protections in place and just saying, protect your head or whatever the case right may be. right like, right it's, it's insane and I think that you have to un like I think as nurses we're so conditioned that you care for your patient no matter what right but at the yes, same time yes. if you're actively being attacked by a patient it's okay to defend yourself and by defend yourself we don't mean like curl up like a turtle into your shell because you don't have a shell 
Okay, that's a really bad analogy. That's that's still skin and bones, right? Yeah. If if someone is striking at you, it's okay to block that punch or block that strike. You're not going to, I don't know, like throw your patient out the window. Like we're talking about defending yourself because you have the right to defend yourself whether or not it's a patient. And I think that talking about things like standardized violence risk assessment tools, and most importantly, just having safer um, staff to patient ratios, having Mm -hmm. more uh, support from security, and also being able to report easily. Like it should be really easy to report a violent incident. You shouldn't have to jump through all these hoops. You shouldn't have to ask permission to call the hospital or let somebody know what's happened. It just sounds... It just sounds like we've been so conditioned to continue caring no matter what the situation is, even if our lives are at risk. And I think that a lot of these nurses, like you said, they knew the signs were there. But again, it was like they felt that their duty was to care for the patient no matter what. And so they they, they put themselves in these situations because they felt like there was no other option when there probably was. Yeah, well, it it sounds to me like a lot of the the power has been removed from that nurse to make just like a regular decision. Like if you were if you were in a situation outside of, you know, the hospital or the community or wherever you're working and you were just like, let's say in the grocery store, you probably wouldn't crumble down and just take it. Like I think and you would expect that that grocery store has provisions and protocols in place if something violent was to occur there, right? You, And I'm not saying that hospitals don't. I just think they don't go to the extent in terms of the protections that we should have, nor does the government. Like, I think this is just, it's a bigger problem that we have to deal with. And I think that this is, again, our, our call to action. We need to talk about some of the things that we'd like to see. And I think, so the first thing I think would be important to see is we need to have strong policies against harming healthcare workers. Like we should have like a zero tolerance. Like here's here. It's going to be like in the States, it's a felony. It's, it's not like a misdemeanor. It's a big ass deal. If you are going to attack a healthcare worker, it's like attacking a judge. It's like attacking a police officer. It, it will be a deterrent. People are going to take take another thought to be like, if I punch this nurse in the face, like that guy did just recently in Ontario where his wife was getting the COVID-19 vaccine and he punched the nurse in the face and said, well, his wife shouldn't be taking the vaccine. Insane. That maybe that person would have thought twice about punching that nurse in the face because he might be serving 10 to 15 years in prison. We need to have stronger policies to protect healthcare workers right at the government level, right in the criminal code. Nurses and other healthcare workers, they need practical skills like self-defense. We need to teach nurses how to defend themselves and not crumple up. (laughs) (laughs) Every nurse gets a stipend to go do jujitsu for for a year. Like, I mean, think about police training, right? Like, I'm not saying that they all do, but some of them do get, you know, stipends to go do additional training to, to keep themselves safe. And some of that's vetted by their organization. So I don't know, maybe hospitals should have something where they're like, oh, here's, here's a safety provision grant, where if you, you know, you sign up for a jujitsu club, we give you a kickback of like $500 to subsidize your training or something. I don't know, some type of incentive. 
Well, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, like a lot of workplaces have a kickback for joining a gym, right? So I feel like it's the same idea. So maybe on certain units where it's high risk, it should be mandatory, and on other units, you should be encouraged to take it, where you might get your reimbursement for the cost of the workshop or whatever. Right. And really encourage people to take it, or even things like breakaway techniques. If you have been if you're being attacked by someone and they are, they've got you in a hold, like how do you break out of that? I think that would be equally important. And also just like, like you said, giving nurses that power back that you do not have to work in a situation where you feel unsafe. If you've been attacked, you do not need to return to that same situation. Right. I I feel like these are really basic things, but I guess clearly they're not that basic. There's, there seems to be a lot of bureaucracy around this. Well, imagine the manager that you're like, oh my gosh, you know, we called the code white, this patient hit me. I think I want to press charges. And the manager looks at you he's like, are you sure you want to do that? Right. The, the response should be like, I can help you. Here's the numbers. Here's what we need to do. Like, I think we also need to sp- stop those negative responses where, you know, you have people in the organization that is just like, well, are you sure you actually want to do that? Are you sure you want to press charges? It's like, yeah, damn right. I want to press charges. I shouldn't be scratched in the face and and choked and, and whatever, right? Like I think managers just need to have managers, directors, whoever is at that corporate level should, the first thing they should be like, are you okay? Whatever you need, we'll make it work. Right. Don't ask stupid questions like, are you sure you want to do this? Right. And it's like we just talked about in our recruitment and retention episode. What do you think would make nurses want to work at your organization? Do you think that if they knew there was a zero tolerance policy for violence from patients, that might be an incentive for them to either apply to your organization or want to stay? Absolutely. If they knew that they weren't going to be attacked time and time again or have to watch their colleagues being attacked, I, I would definitely think that's that's something that would incentivize me to stay at an organization. Yeah, it's definitely not taken seriously enough. And we need to start taking it seriously. Like nurses need to be like, nope, I'm not, I'm not dealing, I'm not coming into work to be anybody's punching bag anymore. Again, another reason why nurses are leaving, right? Some nurses, like this nurse that it's a perfect example where she's just like, I don't even know if I want to be continue being a nurse because of all of this trauma that I've dealt with. Right. I think that, you know, people just think that it's okay for this to happen. It's, it's not okay. And it's not a part of the job. Again, I think that the other big piece, like we said, so like holding perpetrators um, of assault accountable. So, you know, the hospital helps press charges or whatever the case may be. Like I said, we also need better data and tracking. This is where we're looking at, you know, our internal reporting systems. How is violence being um, reported in the hospital? Who is it like, who are the perpetrators of this violence? We need to have better ways of tracking it, better ways of capturing the data and then doing something about it. If we're seeing high, high levels of like, we shouldn't be seeing any levels, but like, if we're seeing high levels, we need to do something about it. You can't just be like, oh, you know, oh, look, we have all this code white data or we have all this, you know, data on violence and do absolutely nothing. That doesn't serve any purpose. It just, at the end of the day, looks really bad on an organization when they're being charged, like Southlake, when they're like, you guys don't even have a risk assessment tool for this to happen. We're we're, we're going to fine you. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And if anyone has ever gone through this, don't blame yourself because this is not your fault. It's not because 
you didn't get them that ice water in time or you didn't do this or you didn't do that. This is not your fault. This is a fault of the system. So please know that. And if this has happened to you, I think just in order to protect yourself, you need to take really detailed notes of what happened. So for that nurse, for example, that reached out to us, she had taken pictures of her injuries, which I think is key. If you're ever going to be pressing charges, you need to get all that information, get your ducks in a row, make sure you have, you know, a record of the time and place everything occurred. Because I just don't think you should rely on your organization to do this for you. You need to put yourself first. No, I I wholeheartedly agree. And I think the other piece is like, you know, um, organizations and governments need to put their 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 money where their mouth is. They talk about mental health. Like this is all like a trickle down approach, right? They they talk about supporting mental health. They talk about retaining nurses. We need targeted funding for violence prevention infrastructure. Like we like we talked about, you know, maybe there's a stipend or there's there they actually start putting money into protecting their frontline staff. Like this is also about a staffing crisis, right? Like it's also about they maybe they don't have enough security personnel working there. Maybe it's also like you said patient to nurse ratios. Like this is a huge problem. And again, when we know that these things happen on like typically they happen in the evenings or the nights, upstaff your security system or upstaff people who can be there to help support. We need to deal with the staffing crisis because it's a huge problem. We need to retain nurses by looking at these glaring issues. And I think that if we don't attack them, well, if we don't attack the issues, that this is just another part of the reason why nurses don't want to continue doing this work anymore. Absolutely. And we've talked a lot about physical violence, but also verbal abuse is part of all of this too. So don't feel that you need to be, you need to take any sort of verbal abuse from your patient or your patient's families. No, a hundred percent. Like I think it would mean the world to, to a nurse, a physician, like even, even housekeeping staff, whoever, it doesn't matter that, you know, if they're being abused verbally, um, physically that, you know, at the end of the day, that the organization and other people around them, other colleagues will have their back and be like, you know what, that was not okay. We're going to fix this and we're going to do this together. I think that there's so many times where these things happen where people feel really alone. They really feel unsupported and they feel that there's nobody out there to protect them. It should never have to be like that. It should never have to be that you're going to work in fear that you might be assaulted on the job or that, you know, you might be the next victim. And we, we need we need to get this under wraps. We need to really deal with this problem. And I think we need to we need to look at the online hate. We need to deal with that. We need to curb that like very, like right yesterday. And we need to deal with the violence that's occurring in our workplaces to make sure that, you know, it's not always gonna be the best environment, but it's a safe environment. I think that's that shouldn't be a huge ask. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yes, you could. Ha, 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 ha.